Bob and Sue, married all their lives, like in their golden years, they've been married for like 60 years, happy as clams. Sue goes to the doctor, gets some bad news. She's got cancer and she's only got six months to live. So Bob and Sue go outside and they talk about it and Bob says, babe, whatever you want for the next six months, it's yours. I'm at your beck and call. You let me know what you need. I'm gonna do anything I can to make your last six, life, last six months best on earth. She says, well, Bob, the only thing I really want is oral sex. And he says, really? And she says, yeah. Whenever I want it, you gotta give it to me, okay? He says, all right, <laughs> great, fine. So for the next six months, you can imagine, she wakes up in the morning, calls him over in the middle of the day, he's at her beck and call, yada, 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 they have sex all the time. And all of a sudden, after four months, she's feeling great. So she goes to the doctor, and the doctor does a bunch of tests on her, and he says, what are you doing differently? And she says, well, to be honest with you, the only thing different is that my husband gives me great oral sex a lot. And he says, I don't know if there's something in his saliva, but you don't have cancer anymore. You are cured. She's like, oh my God, that's amazing. And she goes and she tells Bob, and Bob says, oh my God, that's amazing. He goes, we've got to share this with everybody. So they throw a huge party, and, and they have all of their friends and their relatives there, and they gather them around, and they say, look, we have an amazing story to tell you. A little unorthodox, but you know, all Sue asked for in the time that she was dying was oral sex. I gave it to her a lot, and now she's cured. And everybody's tearing up, everybody is so excited, and Bob's brother comes storming up over to him, goes, you fucking son of a bitch, and he punches Bob in the face. Bob was like, what, what, this is, this is like a great thing. And his brother says, you could have cured mom. <laughs> Thank you. That opening joke was told by a longtime employee of the Green Mill, one of our wisecracking uptown jazz club industry colleagues, Amy Auburn. Amy's been cocktailing at the mill for over two decades, and she's real quick with a joke, and when she works the show, we ask her to hop on the mic and share one with the room. Bob and Sue and curative cunnilingus is obviously a machete cult classic. Anyway, now a sweet opening ditty from this week's musical guest, Sonal Agarwal. Jesus, I love you, and I love Buddha too. Radhe Krishna, Guru Dave, Tao Te Ching, and Mohammedan. Why do some people say that there is just one way to love you? Let it come to you. We are all a part of you, and is the universe your thought? You are, and you are not. You are many, you are one. Ever ending, just begun. All right, all right, all right, all right. said, Jesus, I love you, and I love Buddha, oh, I love Krishna, Allah, oh, 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 oh. Allah. why do, why do some people, why do they say, hey, that there is just that everybody they must love one way. Hey, hey. Even when I was little, if I didn't want to go to temple, my daddy says that's okay. Hey, hey. Just ask my mama. She says, so many paths they the same place so why do some people say that there is just one way to love you let it come to you we are all a part of you and is the universe your thought you are and you are not you are many you are one ever ending just begun
that was Sonal Agarwal. And this is the Machete Audio Magazine, August 1st, 2020. This is Christopher. And depending on when you're listening to this, there are absolutely no more than 93 days left until we elect a new president. And I'm kind of in shock about this. Time, of course, has been warping and weaving and wavering since the beginning of the MAGA kingship. And suddenly we're just three months out from a potential subscription renewal. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to address a lot about how we got here and what it means on this episode. But we're going to open this week with some straight-up stand-up, just to get us grounded. This native Texan, Brooklyn-squatting, Conan and Comedy Central-approved comic visited us last summer and began his set with a very important rhetorical question. Here's Shane Torres. Is that, is that not weird to any of y'all? that everything bagels are the only thing that come with everything that costs the same as it coming with nothing. You guys know what bagels are, right? Jewish donuts, like I... Look, I'm not up here saying the earth is flat. That's fucking weird. Name another thing where the deluxe model costs the same as the base model. You can't do it. Look, I'm from a little town called Crowley, Texas. Not a lot of bagel shops where I come from, okay? So I moved to New York City to make it, which I did. Uh, (laughs) Wasn't even that hard. get there, and I walk into one of their fine Jewish bodegas. I say, hey, Rabbi, give me one of your peoples. Making small talk and shit, you know. I I love how y'all put the frosting in the middle. That's cool. Boiled bread, weird. And after a little bit, he says to me, He goes, well, what kind of bagel would you like? And I say, well, what do you suggest? It's called pseudo-intellect. When you don't know the answer, you ask a question. The president does it. (laughs) Where are your taxes? What is cheese? Fuck if I know, man. All right. Guess we'll start a war. What do you, I say, what do you suggest? And he says to me, he go, well, the everything bagel is our most popular bagel. <laughs> and I was just like, well, here comes the upsell. <laughs> I say, how much more is it? And he go, it's the same as any other bagel. (laughs) Said, I beg your pardon? (laughs) He goes, it's the same as any other bagel. And I know a bargain when I hear one. (laughs) So I say, I'll have that. Then I wait for four minutes, filling with great anticipation. And then he hands me a piece of foil that's just warm enough to remind me that I've not been intimate with a woman for some time. (laughs) I I don't fuck it, you know, like that. (laughs) 
American Pie 5 or whatever. You know. I open up this wrapper expecting to find everything. Career, happiness, someone to talk to. Instead, I found a piece of old bread with four different kinds of specks on it. And I looked at him and I said, hey, motherfucker. I asked for everything. And he looked at me and said something I was completely unprepared for. He goes, well, everything to you might not mean everything to me. <laughs> You're right, another lesson from the Torah. I, uh... Do you guys see the, the thing about the asteroid? Yeah, yeah. Did you guys see this? An asteroid came with it closer than any asteroid has ever come to hitting Earth that could have caused like city damage, city level damage. And uh, you know, the science community is like, oh, we really dodged one. And I'm like, at this point, isn't it almost better if it does hit us? Like, <laughs> like right now, this planet feels like the last 10 pages of Little Women where you're like, ah, she's really sick. And. Uh, <laughs> Why don't we just old yeller this motherfucker and start from square one? Scary, because it's true. You guys are next to a fresh water source. You're fine. Uh, oh, man. Okay, look. There's a thing that happened, and um, here we go. Uh, Well, you got, you're familiar with sexting. Uh, it's when you learn you're not ambidextrous. Uh, uh, here's the, the reason I bring it up. Look, look, I was on the road. I was, in, I was in Pittsburgh, which if you've never been, it's a great town. Everybody there looks like they sell and do pills. Uh, it's, it's all right. And I'm there doing a run of shows. And, uh, and uh, I met a young woman, appropriate age, and uh, <laughs> and we hit it off. And uh, uh, I can't believe how how lovely she is. She's tall, she's sweet, big blue eyes. And uh, uh, she's like, hey, why don't you text me sometime? And I was like, I'll text you all the time. <laughs> and she's like, not that much. Uh, <laughs> So I downshift a little bit, and it's gone uh, pretty well. Uh, so well, in fact, that when I get home tomorrow, uh, she's coming to see me. Uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, we have not fucked. Uh, yeah, I want to, you know, just whatever. Uh, but. The point being I'm trying to get is I felt like I should make a move, kind of make my intentions known, you know? And she's very sweet. And uh, she texts me, she's a very kind, kind of modest gal, and she texts me, she goes, what do you want to do when I come see you? <laughs> I wasn't like, your mouth, you know, I'm not. <laughs> Open up or whatever, you know? So not, not being a creep. Just kind of sticking my toe in the pool. Just peppering my chicken. I say, maybe we'll just get a bottle of wine, get drunk, and make out. Yeah. And then she texts back, I am fingering myself right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I had to be like, me too. Like, I, <laughs> like as well, not the movement. You know, like, because <laughs> she really skipped a few steps, man. <laughs> you know, most people would be like, well, I like wine. What kind of wine do you like? <laughs> but she went straight downstairs and started playing slap bass. And, <laughs> and here's the other thing. I'm dumb, but I'm not an idiot. 
I realize that when a woman sends you a message like that, it requires a certain amount of vulnerability and trust on their part. Point being, that's a text you gotta react to lickety split. That ain't some shit you can let hang in the air. You can't just be like, oh, sorry, I was pulling a pot roast out of the oven. Time got away from me. You still petting your cat? Like, you... And I'll be honest, man. The shit she has been sending me, it's awesome. And the things I have been sending her are lies. <laughs> She's just like, you're gonna fuck me up against a wall? And I'm like, that's the only way I do it. <laughs> and in my mind, I'm like, what am I, a Russian gymnast? Like, crazy shit. She's like, you're gonna be so hard, my ears pop. And I'm like, what are we even talking about? <laughs> but we're in the middle of all this, and she texts me. <laughs> She goes, hey, are you about to come? Uh, also, she spelled come, C-O-M-E, like all of a sudden you're proper. Uh, <laughs> I go, yeah, about to come. And she go, call me, I wanna hear you come. And I was like, I don't think you do. Like, <laughs> but you're gonna pick up the phone and be like, hello, and I'll be like, clear. Had to put my phone in a bag of rice. All right, everybody. Thank you very, very much. That was the wonderful Shane Torres. So as I mentioned, this week we're sort of experiencing a whiplash from realizing we're almost 90 days from electing a new president or possibly an old one. I mean, definitely an old one either way, obviously. How did we get here, friends? We're gonna retrace certain steps on this show and revisit a few moments when comedians we know can say, I told you so. The second Saturday of June 2016, there were still two Democratic candidates in the primary, but Trump was definitely the GOP's guy by then. That week, a leading North Korean publication endorsed Donald Trump for America's president to talk about it. We welcomed back a favorite machete correspondent, Kim Jong-un's gay best friend, June Min. Annyeong so bitches. Um... Yes, it's me. I'm back. I'm so happy to be at my favorite place in the whole world, the Pepum Scooty. Um, I think it's so cute that you guys like keep having it in this like dingy bar, you know? Like all of this, your like poverty or whatever is so inspiring to me. Um, I think it's really great. Like this that you've got going on here is just so adorable to me. What is, th is that a shirt? <laughs> What's that fabric? Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> um, I love it, you're so cute. Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know me, I am Jun Min and I am Jung Un's gay best friend, but like TBH, like he, I'm his best friend, but he's not really my best friend, you know? <laughs> It's one of those situations, like we just got really close because we sat next to each other in middle school and no one would talk to us because like he was gonna be the eventual leader of the country and I was like way ahead of my time, you know? Um, but anyways, like now I do really like love him and I like want the best for him, you know, like a better haircut and clothes that fit and things like that, you know? Um, I just like truly want the best for him. And it's great because like sometimes I'll go in for a hug and he'll be like, no homo. And I'll be like, clearly, you know? Uh, <laughs> And then we'll just laugh and laugh and laugh. And it's like somebody should make a web series about us. But then I remember that only five people have internet in my country. So it's like, who would give to the Kickstarter? You know, um, it's very difficult. But I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to spill all the hot goss coming out of North Korea. Um, and let me tell you, the tea I'm about to spill all over your pasty white Midwestern laps is gonna burn you so badly that you'll sue, you know? And you'll probably win. 
Um, so basically, I guess um, you guys have like this election thing going on right now. Like it's like a baby one. It's like the preemies, I think it's called. Um, and it's like, have you guys ever? That's not a rhetorical question. Because like, if you guys have been paying attention, you know that it's literally crazy. Like it's capital B bananas, you know? Like you've got all these white people competing to take over the job of a black person, which from my perspective seems very problematic, but um, whatever, what do I know? Because like on one side, you've got this like white lady who doesn't know how to work email and also this like wisp of smoke who's also a socialist. And then on the other side, on the other side, you've got this man who like sort of looks like how I imagine a person who is blind, who is born blind, deaf, and dumb would describe a human being, you know? Like, it's very close, but also off, you know? Um, but anyways, this week, the DPRK Today, which is basically like North Korea's uh, gawker, rather, uh, endorsed Donald Trump as the next president of your country. And like, isn't that wild? I mean, like, the story was written by Hang Young Muk, who like, everyone is like, oh, he's a China-based Korean scholar, which is hilarious, because as you guys know, Jong-un has like a pretty tight grip on the media in our country, so this whole thing is like a total catfish situation, which is like, very strange. Like, he's not a China-based Korean scholar, okay? Those don't exist. Um, but like, I totally get why he'd want a catfish because on North Korean Grinder, I use like a headless torso of Ryan Gosling, um, which is like doubly sad because I'm also the only person on North Korean Grinder. Um, very sad. But anyways, this young muck guy, whoever he is, he was all like, it turns out that Trump is not the rough-talking, screwy, ignorant candidate they say he is, but is actually a wise politician and a prescient presidential candidate, which it's like, well, I thought I was the only openly gay person in North Korea, but it sounds like this guy's pretty gay for Trump, you know? Um, it's like honestly impressive to me that that guy could type out all those words while Trump's dick was like in his mouth, you know? Um... And for those of you who like aren't on my level, I was just being sarcasmic. Like I'm not actually impressed. Like, cause I could type a whole book on my knees. So, anyways. Um, so now, at this point, I know what y'all are thinking. You're just like, why? You know? Um, because it's like, oh, it's North Korea just being all kooky crazy again, and it's like so funny that they think they're relevant, and like they can't even shoot a rocket properly, and isn't it wild how everyone is starving, and like, why should we care what this useless country thinks about our presidential candidates anyways? And it's like, honestly, that's a really ugly look on you guys, and you should reflect on that um, <laughs> privately, but... Here's why you dummies should be worried. You see, Trump sat down with gay national treasurer Anderson Cooper back in March and said that both South Korea and Japan would be better off protecting themselves, suggesting that the U.S. remove military support if both of those countries don't pay for it, which may sound like another float in the parade of nonsense that's just constantly spilling out of Trump's mouth, but... Here's, uh, but it actually makes Trump seem like a real cute presidential candidate to a lot of crazy people over in my country. You see, North Korea has been like, guys, why don't we just have one big unified Korea party? And I have an idea. Why doesn't the Kim family rule it all? We've been saying it for decades, you know? And the only reason we haven't is because you have all those hot army guys just like on the peninsula protecting it day in, day out, you know? And if they weren't there, we would literally invade, which is what we did in 1950 during a little thing we like to call the Korean War, okay? So go back to college and read a book about it. Um... <laughs> Like, this is pretty much exactly like the Real Housewives of New York, you know? And, like, America is Bethany Frankel, sorry. Um, <laughs> South Korea is Jill Zarin, and North Korea is Ramona Singer. And basically, like, the only thing protecting Jill from Ramona was Bethany. And then when Jill's husband had cancer, Bethany was, like, not supportive at all. She, she was busy having it all. And, like, Bethany and Jill, who were, like, the cornerstone friendship of the show. Like, have you ever seen any early season of the show? Like, it's like watching a real friendship. Anyways, they stopped being friends. And then Jill got kicked off the show, which is shocking, you know? And so they left. Bethany alone with Ramona, which is like an actual honest-to-God nightmare, and then Ramona made Bethany go to her New Beginnings party, and Bethany knew it wasn't a New Beginning party, but she had to go anyways, and basically that's what's going to happen to America. America's going to be forced to go to North Korea's New Beginning party, only it won't be a New Beginning party, it'll be a nuclear fucking war, okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Mm -hmm. 
here's the thing, you guys. Like, I know, like, a lot of you are like Bernie or bust because Hillary is straight up evil and emails and war and whatever. And I get it. I totally respect that. But you're like, I won't vote for the lesser of two evils thing is like great. But the thing is, in this situation, like, the thing to keep in mind is like, one of the evils is lesser, you know? <laughs> um, and, um, like, Hillary. You know, Hillary may become president and like literally recreate the opening of DuckTales and just like dive into a pile of Goldman Sachs gold, you know, but, and like you'll all be like so sad because you won't have a middle class or whatever, but the thing is, is if Trump becomes president, you're literally putting the entire world at risk. And I don't mean to sound like a bitch, but if you don't vote, you're voting for Trump. Like, sorry, I'm not sorry. I'm not gonna apologize. I'm a bitch, okay? Um, and consider this. You know, history is often marked by stretches of decades and sometimes centuries of relative calm interrupted by truly horrendous events. Like, Jill and Bethany were friends for years before Bravo came out, you know? Um, and I mean, President Obama just got back from Japan where he chatted with everybody about the last terrible global conflict. And like, that one started with crazy people, like my best friend, who were like, oh, Western democracies have not stayed woke, so let's just take this island because I want it, you know? And like, now I know I'm sounding like a total friend of me, but I do want Jong-un to rule all of Asia, but it's also like if we unify the Koreas, I will have to run into my South Korean ex, and I'm just like not in a place emotionally to deal with that right now. So um, all I'm asking you is to like think beyond your own sense of like self-righteousness and like think about me seeing my ex, also death, you know, like all the death. Um, I know it seems like sort of unfair to put that all on you, but I also don't care. Um, so yeah, anyways, keep laughing at all the hilarious antics of North Korea, just like you laughed at the possibility of Donald Trump being a presidential nominee. That worked out real well for you dorks, right? <laughs> oh boy, I'm like four hours late for brunch right now. <laughs> so I should probably get going. I would love to give you my phone number so you could text me, but I'm like so stressed out right now. Like, I can't even think about doing that. So just like, um, DM me, I guess. All right, bye. <laughs> Kim Jong-un's gay best friend was the creation of the delightful and prophetic Joel Kim Booster. All right, so it's kind of hard to remember this now, but just a few days before we locked down for quarantine, there was still a huge debate stage full of hopeful Democratic candidates. So many, in fact, that the last debate before Super Tuesday was deemed must-see TV. We recapped said event at the Machete, as we are wont to do. This is the last Saturday in February of this year, and the next to last show at the Green Mill before the shutdown. Here's Sarab Faruzesh. Hi guys, are you guys good? Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Look, can I get real with you guys for a second? I love this show. This is a really fun thing for me to do because I get to step out of my comfort zone. Usually I'm a stand-up comic, so that pretty much means I get on stage and I make fun of white people anywhere from 18 to 15 minutes at a time. That's generally how it goes here in Chicago for me, but I'm not going to do that tonight, all right? I'm not going to do that today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about something smart. I'm going to talk about the debates. I'm going to fight my carnal urges to make fun of these table of white people right here. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that, all right? I'm not going to say, hey, what are you guys doing? Making a podcast? I'm not going to say that. I'm here to talk about the debates, damn it. And I like that. I like being pushed into doing something different, doing something I normally wouldn't talk about. And let's get into it, all right? Let's get into these fucking debates. Can you imagine my horror when I sat down to watch the debates all excited that I was gonna get to write something different and just figured out that it was just a bunch of white people screaming at each other for an hour and 30 minutes. I was horrified. I, I can't escape. As soon as I try to stop making fun of you guys, you guys pull me right back in, all right? <laughs> It's, it fucking sucks. It's, oh, it, I th I'm pretty sure the debates are just an excuse for old white people to get together and aggressively raise their hands. You guys love that shit. Go to a restaurant. Excuse me, they love it. Uh, they love raising their hand. Did you watch, it, who watched the debates? Oh, okay. See them raising their hand? See them raising their hand? <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Not a lot of people watch the debates. That's how it is. How many people watched the last episode of The Bachelor? <laughs> much more. Much more people. That's not surprising. The Bachelor is Ramadan for Americans. You guys take it very seriously. I understand that. 
A lot of people didn't watch the debates. If you watched the debates, you would have seen that Michael Bloomberg is not very good at raising his hands, all right? <laughs> he raises his hands like a serial killer. It's very scary. I hate it. I'm not a big fan of how he raises his hands. But you got, listen, I really didn't want to make this debate just about making fun of white people, but you got, there's legitimately a candidate whose name is Amy Klumbuchar. It sounds like kombucha. You guys can't do shit without involving kombucha. You guys are ridiculous. Klumbucha, how do you say it? How does this, Klumbuch sounds like kombucha to me. I don't give a fuck. If there was a candidate named Steve Grateful Dead, he would win by a landslide, all right? That's calling it right now. Not a lot of people watch the debates, that's fine. <laughs> they were spicy, okay? They were the spiciest debates I've ever seen. If, these de if this last debate was a food, you white people wouldn't eat it. That's how spicy it was. <laughs> there are, I will say, there's, there's a reason people don't watch them. They're fucking long and boring, right? There's just, the, the debates are, an, are a meeting that could have been an email. That's really all they are. <laughs> This one was particularly entertaining, though. I brought it up earlier. It was very fiery. It was just a lot of them yelling at each other. I haven't seen white people yell, yell at each other that much last time until they were talking about Harry Potter. It's the only time they yell that much. And I'm going to be impartial on this, all right, when I give you my very bare-bones analysis, because I didn't do much, all right? I just smoked a bunch of weed and jumped on YouTube and watched. I'm not an expert, but I'm going to try to stay impartial, all right? Some of us like Bernie, all right? Some of us like Warren. Some of us are Republicans from Naperville who want to leave, but it's too crowded. And, and they're going to do more research next time they're on TripAdvisor. That's fine. I've seen it happen in this room. The debates kicked off with my girl Elizabeth Warren coming in hot. She came in hot, she attacked Bernie right away. I will say that kind of bummed me out. I don't like watching those two fight. I feel like my parents are getting divorced. I like both of them. And I feel like I'm, I have to pick whose house I want to go to for Thanksgiving. One of my favorite moments came early on in the debate. Mayor Pete asked for money. Right away, this motherfucker plugged his website and he was like, go to my website and donate money, which does not surprise me. The man is from Indiana, that's what they do. They beg for money outside gas stations and liquor stores. <laughs> that was very on brand for a guy from South Bend, Indiana. <laughs> I don't even, I'm surprised they even have that well of a political system in Indiana, honestly. I figured, I, I'm assuming you probably just won some kind of paintball tournament to become mayor. <laughs> Lottie, all right, calm down. <laughs> Biden kept getting worked up on dumb shit. I noticed that right away. He would get in these weird little tangents where he would start fucking pointing at the camera and just repeating himself. At one point, he was talking about South Carolina. He's like, I've been here before. I've met the fine people. I've created jobs here. I've gotten too drunk and shit myself at a Waffle House. I've been in... <laughs> I've taken my shirt off and swung it around like a helicopter. That's North Carolina, but that's... That's North Carolina. A lot of the rest of the debates were just, I will say most of the debates were boring because I like Bernie, I like Warren, and it was just all of them attacking Bernie, which is fine. He's the front runner. That's what they have to do. They have to make him look stupid. They painted a very bleak picture if Bernie won. They were like, if Bernie wins the nomination, Trump's gonna get reelected. Roe v. Wade is gonna get overturned. Whole Foods is gonna stop selling avocados and gonna start selling guns. <laughs> Lizzo, Lizzo's gonna get deported and Queer Eye's gonna get canceled. That's what happens if Bernie wins the nomination. He did, okay, so a few of you watched the debates. Who watched the debates? I heard somebody, okay, you, so you watched the entirety of them. Did you see Bernie almost jump off stage and kick that dude's ass in the audience? That was beautiful. If you didn't, I recommend you go and you watch the debates. It happened about 45 minutes in. Someone in the audience heckled Bernie and he stopped everything he was doing. He looked in the crowd and he was like, really? And I was like, damn, he, I don't know if there's any basketball fans, but I got vibes of the malice in the palace when Ron Artest jumped into the crowd to beat the shit out of that dude. That was amazing. I was like, this is great. <laughs> Bloomberg would not shut up about New York. I don't like Michael Bloomberg. I think he looks like a shitty Muppet. I don't like him. I don't like the guy. I don't trust him. But he wouldn't shut up about how much New Yorkers love him, which I think is bullshit. So I'm gonna call my friend from New York and we're gonna see what he says right now. Hello? Yeah, what do you want? Bobby, it's Rob. What do you think about Bloomberg? B Bloom Michael Bloomberg? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That motherfucker. If, if I ever saw that motherfucker coming in my neighborhood, I would kick the fucking ever-loving shit out okay, of him. Okay, all right, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. Bobby, we can't, we can't threaten elected officials. He probably can. I can't. Uh, 
The only way Michael Bloomberg would get everybody in New York to like him is if every member of Wu-Tang Clan endorsed him. All 35 of them. Amy Kambucha and Tom Steyer spent most of the time trying to just remind everybody that they existed, which is fine. I've played that game with my father. It happens. The commentators were terrible. The commentators were drunk, all right? I swear, fucking challenge me on that. Give them a blood alcohol test. One of them tried to end the debate early. Halfway through the debate, she was like, thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, you know, we'll tell you how Super Tuesday goes. And the lady next to her was like, you dumb bitch, there's 30 minutes left of this debate. And now we gotta come back. All right, I'm gonna, listen. Listen, I, 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 got it. I, didn't, I told you I didn't take diligent notes on these debates that were boring as shit. I did make a list of all the silly old white people words that were, that were used during the debate. Someone said, make a fuss. Someone said, abomination. Someone said, whimsical, and I'm pretty sure I heard a kerfuffle in there too, all right? And at one point, <laughs> one point, Biden got real pissed and he was like, I'm not gonna stay quiet anymore and then he stayed quiet it was ridiculous it was this craziest thing i've ever seen in my life listen i gotta I got tie this whole thing up all right and listen I, I i know i tried to do something else and i just ended up making fun of white people the whole time but this is your thing you guys invented listen i'm not saying political debate is an invention of white people political debate is a very important part of democracy but the fucking sideshow circus that it is today i think is very much an invention of you white people and i'm th I, I just want you guys to realize that it was just a bunch and listen you guys invent silly shit i'm not holding it against you all right i just the other day found out about goat yoga all right you guys invent silly shit I don't even know how you pulled that off. You took two brown people things. You took goats and yoga. Those are our things. We invented those things, all right? And you Caucasianed it up somehow, just like you Caucasianed up the debates. I don't even know how you pulled that off. That's like if Middle Eastern people took Labradoodle bar crawls and made a Middle Eastern somehow. All right, you guys are great. Thank you very much. That was Sarab Faruzesh. And at this point in the proceedings, we're gonna share a set from a folk musician who embodies the spirits and the styles of many past generations of American resistance folkies gone by, who just happens to be a millennial living in 2020 MAGA country. This set opens with an original and closes with a cover. Here's Ross Berman. Thank you very much. This is an autobiographical song. I didn't want to be a fascist. I just want to make it on my own. I didn't want to be a fascist. I just didn't want to be full grown. I just wanted the trains to run on time and for everything to go my way. But I'll be judged like a fascist on my judgment day. I didn't want to be an asshole. I just wanted to speak my mind. I didn't want to be an asshole. But research takes so much time. I just wanted to speak my truth until there was nothing left to say. But I'll be judged like an asshole on my judgment day. I didn't want to be a bastard. I had to look out for myself. I didn't want to be a bastard. I couldn't count on anyone else. I want to start at the bottom and reach the top. And at the top, I'll stay. But I'll be judged like a bastard on my judgment day. I didn't want to be an Isaac. I wanted to be Ishmael, I didn't want to be an Isaac. The son you could have killed, and now my blessings, they'll be stolen when I blindly give them away. But I'll be judged like Isaac on my judgment day. 
I didn't want to be a white guy But I'm not looking to my past I didn't want to be a white guy But struggle seems so low class I've been killing the poor for centuries To wash the past away But I'll be judged like a white guy On my judgment day Well, nya 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 I'll be judged like a fascist, judged like an asshole, judged like a bastard, judged like Isaac, judged like a white guy on my judgment day. I'll be judged like a white guy, which means I'm gonna get away. As I went walking, that ribbon highway well, I saw above me an endless skyway and I saw below me that golden valley yeah this land was made for you and me this land is your land this land is my land from California to the New York Island from the redwood forest the Gulf Stream water, yeah, this land was made for you and me. And I walked and rambled, and I followed my footsteps to the sands of her diamond deserts. And all around me, a voice was sounding, yeah, this land was made for you and me. And this land is your land. This land is my land From California to the New York Island From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream water Yeah, this land was made for you and me As I went walking, I saw a sign there And that sign read, no trespassing but the other side didn't say nothing Cause that side was made for you and me And this land is your land This land is my land From California to the New York Island From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream water Yeah, this land was made for you and me and nobody living can ever stop me As I go walking that Nazi punching highway And nobody living can make me turn back Cause this land was made for you and me And this land is your land This land is my land From California to the New York Island forest to the Gulf Stream water yeah this land was made for you and me from the redwood forest to the Gulf Stream water yeah this land was made for you and me and this land is your land this land is my land from the Bible Belt to the Hawaiian Islands from the cut down to the lead-based water, yeah, this land was made for you and me. Thank you. That was Ross Berman. So we've been getting lots of reminders lately that the liberal media 
whoever they are or we are or were or whatever, the liberal media utterly botched calling the election of Donald Trump. And, you know, even in the comedy world, for all of our cleverly smug, apocalyptic predictions presented as absurd satire, for the most part, we were just as shocked and unprepared to deal with a Trump presidency. It it just didn't seem like it could be real. Anyway, the set we're about to play for you was our first public stab at comedy in the new reality. Five days after the election, the character you're about to hear was reporting from Hillary Clinton's headquarters when the results were announced. This character is literally a fly on the wall. So picture in your mind's eye on the Green Mill stage, a huge mosquito who opens her set by barfing. Sorry, uh, I ate a lot of shit this week. More than usual. Hello, hi, I'm a fly. You know, I've heard a lot of you wish you were me. Oh, that I could be a fly on the wall. Oh, that I could spit up digestible juices to liquefy the solid food I like to eat. Oh, that I could live 30 to 60 days and consider it a success if thousands of maggots come out of my butt before I die. Okay, so maybe the first more than the last. But after I tell you what I witnessed on the night of November the 8th while hanging out on the wall of Hillary Clinton's Peninsula Hotel suite, an ass full of maggots doesn't sound so bad. Yes, I was on the wall of former future Madame President's hotel suite between the hours of 6 p.m. and 8 a.m. And uh, for the first three hours straight, I saw her giddily practicing her acceptance speech. She spun round and around with arms full of various colored pantsuits, dreamily falling onto her bed with a sigh, hugging them close to her heart. And then she... uh, spent the rest of the time relentlessly curating shimmies and two-handed waves in the bathroom mirror, perfected her expressions of gratitude, practiced her surprised looks and chuckles, pausing only to give Bill rehearsal notes about letting the uproarious pre-recorded applause on his boombox go louder and longer, please. It has to be just like real life. I watched her and her team talk out what would have been her historical stage entrance. The second she was announced the president-elect, the arena would go pitch black. The Bulls' starting lineup song would play. (laughs) And a center stage spotlight would pop up on a trapdoor, flying back, releasing a hydraulic-powered platform that would launch her at high speeds from the depths of the stage straight into the Javits center ceiling, fists first. And as glass rained down over the crowd, after she double fist bashed one hard high glass ceiling. She would hold her arms out in T formation, bend one knee and descend upon the stage like Storm from (laughs) X-Men. Then she'd start the speech by thanking everyone who helped her in her now metaphorically fisting the highest, hardest glass ceiling. Hillary insisted on doing this without safety nets or wires. When a union stagehand named Jerry arrived to rig her into a harness, she, over her shoulder while bare-knuckle practice smashing thick candy glass, said, I don't rig shit and ain't no man gonna put this bitch on a leash. (laughs) Jerry burst into tears crying out, but what about the DNC? (laughs) To which she and her team slowly turned to him in unison, stared him down, and maniacally laughed him right out of the room, fully shaming him with their brilliant avoidance of that topic. That was the high point of the night, folks. I keep seeing it over and over again, thousands of times, mostly because I have compound eyes and that's how my vision works. 
After Jerry left, John Podesta ran into the room, fast-locked the door, quick drew the blinds before he breathlessly flipped on the TV. We watched swing states predicted to lean blue go red, and Hill and her team fell silent. As Wolf Blitzer foamed at the mouth and Steve Kornacki blew a bunch of loads over different color configurations on a giant <laughs> iPad map he was fond of diddling, Hillary called the front desk of the peninsula to ask room service if they would please deliver a sensory deprivation chamber and two IVs filled with straight tequila. They were to be delivered at dawn after she was done writing one of the finest, most gracious and heartbreaking concession speeches in election history. You should all know that before that speech became what it was, it went through some real rough drafts. <laughs> In the morning, she was carried out, plugged into Patron and encased in a metal womb. <laughs> but her and her team accidentally left behind the early drafts of her concession speech, and I've brought them here today to share with you. Some nuggets, some scraps from what I could carry in my six arms. One draft says, I know how disappointed you feel because I feel it too. That is, if I could feel right now. Kind of numb. I had a six-hour vodka soak, and I can't see colors anymore. Which will come in real handy for the race wars. Just reading the drafts, guys. I'm just reading what I found. Another said, Hey, racist, misogynistic, homophobic America, I got the popular vote. That's a goddamn victory for someone who has spent her entire lifetime repeatedly being shit on, and especially for the past 30-some years. So, yeah, I know I said sorry, but sorry, not sorry, I called you chumps a basket of deplorables. <laughs> I'd do it again. Way to prove me right, you bleached white anuses. I... I will always win. God, the vodka soak is wearing off. In her dedication, the first version read to Bill. Oh, in the in her dedication, the first version of it read to Bill and Chelsea, Mark, Charlotte, and Aiden. If you are reading this, I am dead. <laughs> it is not your fault. Well, maybe Bill's. <laughs> Keep my body on dry ice until RBG dies. Bury us together, Sotomayor will know what to do next. <laughs> One paper simply read, Susan B. Anthony, spinning like a rotisserie chicken. <laughs> the phrase, finally, I am so grateful for our country and for all it has given to me, was first written as, fucking hateful for our country and for all it has given to men, they made it more positive and dropped the N out of men, I guess. Then she drew a detailed flipbook of a penis losing its head in a guillotine. She goes on, this is painful and it will be for a long time. But I want you to remember this. Our campaign was never about one person or even one election. It was about me and necessity. About America being last on the waiting list for a heart transplant and a hard-ass surgeon comes along not only accepting your affordable health care, but getting you a brand spanking new heart hot off the black market. And you refused it just because the surgeon was a woman. Enjoy your rotting heart, fuck toads. <laughs> and um, the other drafts were just rewrites of various 9-11 speeches. <laughs> all ending with, we're gonna live out the next four years like every day is 9-12. Ooh. Oh, the last page I found was torn to shreds, uh, stained with tears, and from what I can tell, it reads, at least we'll always have that hot ESPN magazine cover of Jake Arrieta. <laughs> who, um, if you don't know, turned out to be a Trump supporter. Um, Side note, I was on the shower wall in the stall where Jake washed off after the World Series win. He's got a huge dick. 
but no balls. So he can, he can never actually get hard. It just hangs out like a sloppy proboscis. It's okay, I can say that I have one. I'm a fly. All right, I gotta get going. Um, I hear there's a huge shipment of putrid meat about to hit DC and I wanna be there to feast. A Fly on the Wall was written and performed five days after Donald Trump's election by Atra Azdu. Finally, we're going to close with a set from last summer by an artist who was a machete regular in our very earliest days, 10 years ago, who was back in town from LA last summer. She's now based there. This lady was always just a little bit ahead of her time. Here's Christina Anthony. Oh my gosh, so emotional. That was so nice. Um, but yes, uh, I'll see you all every Tuesday night, 8.30 on ABC. All right? <laughs> Mixed-ish, hard to say, easy to love. Um, I'm so happy to be here. I was so scared. I didn't know where I was in the lineup. So I was so scared I was going to be late because I'm black. And... <laughs> Black people are always late, it's okay. Have you ever seen an all-black flash mob? <laughs> and I wanna thank you for laughing at that timely flash mob joke, thank you. <laughs> no, seriously, I really did think I was gonna be late. On my way, I'm, I'm coming in here, I'm on the street out front, and this white guy stops me at, okay, now you're like, oh no. Is she doing, is she doing race material? <laughs> you didn't come for the race material? I'm not gonna do race material. I'm just like you. I just came from Bikram. Yeah. It's okay. I've been to Portland, right? I know the difference between Kiara Knightley and Natalie Portman. I'm like you. I'm like you. It's okay. No. You know what? Can I do one race material and then we'll just do regular stuff? Okay. Uh, he's like, oh, no, no. I'm not going to Chris Rock myself. Don't worry. Okay, but real quick. What's the difference between niggas and avocados? White people like avocados. So I'm on the street outside. And, okay, first of all, I've told that joke before. This man's telling me to leave. Let me tell you something, sir. I told that joke before, and maybe I should leave because I yelled that out and a woman, a white woman from the back yelled out, avocados are good. Yes. As the young people say, I was shooketh. I was shooketh. I proceeded to just, I ended my time. I just said, I'm Christina Anthony after being on stage for one minute. Ran out, jumped in the lift, got home, got under the covers, and realized I had driven to that show. So I had to go back home. I was so shook. And I, I'm, I'm never gonna mess with white people and their avocados, you know? Um, and it's also, what did she say that was wrong or untrue? Avocados are good. What has she what has she done wrong? She's done nothing wrong. Um, avocados are white avocado art rather, that's your white people excellence. That when I see avocado art, I'm just like uh, you all just creative beyond measure, really. Uh, but anyway, so I'm I'm outside coming in, I'm like, I gotta get in for the show, and this white guy yells out, Your hair fucking rocks! Black girls fucking rock! And listen, some of my best friends are white. So, I know when a white man says something fucking rocks, it rocks, right? <laughs> However, I, I also kind of knew what was going on with that or whoever it was. Um, or if you're here now, thank you. Um, I knew he was kind of trying to holler, right? Right, that's kind of what he was doing. And, you know, fellow white, white girl, right? He was trying to holler. I got this. So, listen, listen. Don't let the white girl jokes fool you. Um, so I knew he was trying to holler at me, and I, I know about white men. I've dated a white man in the past, right? We, we know, she's like, yes, girl. It's like, right? People think it's black men that have big penises, but actually it's white men. It's like, right? It's like sitting on a can of biscuits. So look. Oh 
Just think about that when you get home. So I tried, I knew he was trying to holler, I'm down with the swirl, and I text my, my, my one of my white girlfriends, Remy, when I'm at home, when I'm sitting here, and I go, girl, this man tried to holler at me, he's a white guy. She was like, no, he wasn't, he wasn't hollering. Christina, he was street harassing you. That was street harassment. He was raping you with his words. And all I could think was, that's not how they rape you, is it? With the word? Right, right no, no, fellow rapist here. Okay, thank you. And, uh, okay. Um, but my white girlfriends, that's, they live in a judgment-free zone. You're not gonna just roll up on her and start telling her she rocks. You're not gonna just try to holler. And that's why I wish I could live in that judgment-free zone. One of my white girlfriends, she just diagnosed herself with autism at 29. Right? We're going to walk for a cure right after this. Right? You're not gonna tell her she doesn't have it. A judgment-free zone, okay? I went over one of my white girlfriend's house. They had a dinner party. Half the guests at the dinner party were Megan, Megan, Megan. I don't hear it. What? Y'all can't say Latoka, but you can say Megan, Megan, Megan. You can hear, I don't hear it. But. No, I will say this, and I feel like the theme of this talk has been, I wish I was a white person. <laughs> but I do, because y'all don't be getting killed by the police. No. Oh, hardship, police brutality. That's an issue, huh? No, um, what is, okay, since we're here, what is it like for that one white cop on the police force? You know your colleagues, the other white cops are out here killing these black boys and girls on the playground, just hanging out with their friends. What is it like for that one white cop that's not there to kill black people? He's the white cop that likes to play basketball. <laughs> is it hard for that guy? Does he feel nervous when his other bros are out there like, man, I'm gonna shoot a nigga today. And he's like, I'm gonna shoot the score. <laughs> right, right. Oh, maybe that could be like a new, an, I'm not the one killing people, okay. <laughs> That could be like a new theme though, like for police uh, academies, they could be like, hey, don't shoot a nigga, shoot a three, right? Um, I will tell you this, white, there are some white girls though, you need, I'm saying all, this, all these games, but don't you mess with these white girls. Any white woman named Ebony will fuck you up, okay? I got beat up by a white girl named Ebony in high school, still, still not over it. And also, white women with wholesome names like Chastity and Charity and hope and faith. Woo, they are mean and will never give you your medical records, right? <laughs> you late, I'm black, you knew I was gonna be late. Stop being mean to me. Okay, well, before I go, <laughs> I also had some non-race material, see, you messed me up. Um, Cause I had like jokes about dating and stuff, you know? I, I'm actually dating three guys, but, and I'm, I want to sleep with all of them, but I don't want to be a rap lyric, right? If, look, if a black woman sleeps with three men and gets pregnant, she got three baby daddies, she don't know who the father is. A white girl do it, it's Mama Mia, so don't judge me. <laughs> that was the one and only Christina Anthony these days, you can see her as Aunt Dee Dee on the ABC series Mixed Dish. And that's that. That was the Paper Machete Audio Magazine, August 1st, 2020. Three months till we choose a new president voter's guide thingy, I guess. So the Machete is produced by Leah Munzee and myself, Christopher Pyatt. This podcast's audio engineer is Jacob Serio, and we're also grateful that you listened. We're going to leave you with one more by Sonal Agarwal. And as usual, good night, Mrs. Steinberg, wherever you are. And this will be, uh, this will be the last one, and then we'll get back into the machete. Come on. Dear, dear. Deep, deep down, there's a fire, there's a fire burning. I, oh, I, I am a wandering, I'm a wandering, tumbling.